welcome to episode three of the About That MBA podcast, the podcast who uh, for people who are curious about MBAs and the experience of what they're all about, created by students who are living and breathing uh, the MBA life. My name's Tim, I'm an MBA student at Surrey Business School and the host and creator of, uh, of this show. And uh, before we get started, just a quick reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at That MBA Podcast um, to see what we're up to. We're going to be posting more pictures and more content. Um, once I figure out my social media plan and uh, uh, you can interact with us a little bit more on there. Hopefully we'll be getting your questions uh, in future. And um, yeah, do follow us on Twitter to keep up with the latest happenings. So on today's show, like every other podcast, we're going to be talking about the latest module we've completed here on the Surrey MBA. And it's fair to say that this one is uh, a core part of any MBA program. And of course, I'm talking about marketing. Um, but first, I'd like to introduce my guest for this show, uh, Hader Hamandi. Hader, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, he's another member of, Hader is another member of our MBA co- cohort, and he's formerly a head of operations for a group of takeaway restaurants in London. Um, and before we get too far into this, I should point out, uh, those of you who follow us on Twitter, you might have noticed we're recording this one um, at the end of our term. It's, uh, it's the last day before Christmas. So we're in all our festive jumpers and Hader's uh, got his fantastic little Rudolph uh, jumper on that has a tendency to jingle. So apologies for, uh, for that peculiar background noise, but um, we're kicking it festive. And so yeah, good, good afternoon Hader, thank you for, for joining me today. Um, and I wanted to start off by just asking you to tell us a little bit about your working life so far and what, uh, what you've been up to in your career. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. Um, so basically, um, I was working for a food franchise in central London. Uh, I was working on and off um, when I was a teenager in holidays between term and school. And then when I went to university, I started working in their office in my spare time as well on holidays, doing admin work and um, around that. And then when I graduated, um, I was supposed to be doing an internship in Dubai uh, for, for an investment bank. But the visa fell through mm-hmm. last minute, so why did I ended up working for that same franchisee for a while, and then with a plan to do it on the side until I find something new, and then as it happens, ended up getting stuck into it. And um, yeah, so where it was was that because I had experience in the office side and in the store side, I ended up being promoted to the, the area manager uh, or the area manager role um, because of my manager experience as well then. Um, and then I was working there for about three and a half years before I became the head of operations for a year. And then by that point, we then sold up um, the franchise completely, uh, the franchisee and the stakes I had at the time with it as well. Okay. So what, uh, you have to forgive my ignorance, but what did a, a head of operations mean in your particular function for these uh, these takeaway restaurants? What, what, what was your day-to-day responsibilities? So it was mostly um, dealing with the managers themselves, organizing the managers, the uh, area managers as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, really, to be honest, because we only had, by the end, seven stores. Originally, we had five stores when I was area manager. Mm-hmm. Then I opened up two just before I left. Um, and most of what I was doing was just organizing them, um, being an interim between the office work, or the admin work, and um, everyone who's working there, and then everyone working in the stores, setting targets, mm-hmm. um, dealing with the marketing, should be helpful for this module, and yeah. as, as, as well as just um, dealing with the head office, um, everything to do with them, mm-hmm. um, uh, bringing any kind of new training or any new ideas that they had from the head office down to our stores at the store level, mm-hmm. as, as well as dealing with um, all the contractors who are coming in doing the work on the side that have nothing to do with the actual food, things like oven maintenance or bike maintenance. Um, I was finding also uh, cheaper products that we could use uh, as materials that were still up to standards. Mm-hmm. 
uh, obviously fitting to the, the guidelines set by the head office. Excellent. Fantastic. And what were some of the challenges you faced when you were, uh, you know, every day? What was what were some of the things that kind of caused you headaches in, in that role? Feel free with the question. Well, I mean, the, the biggest headache, as you can imagine, was just dealing with the sheer amount of staff. Mm. Um, being in charge of, of was seven people, we had about 150 staff. Wow. Who directly worked for us, split up into seven stores. Mm. Um, we worked between levels of area managers, store managers, shift system managers, shift managers, mm. and then regular two. Um, team um, crew members and drivers and that kind of stuff as well as people who work just for cleaning or just in the office mm-hmm. so it was just getting everybody organised getting everybody to work towards the same goal and to also um, there are certain times where especially with the new project brought in trying to make sure that the standards that we set are universal to all of our stores let alone the stores uh, are around the country itself yeah oh of course that's um, yeah I mean we're, we're dodging around the name of the company here but they are very recognizable and they're kind of their their USP is that you get a certain standard of food yes. no matter where you are I mean I've had it in different countries and um, you know two o'clock in the morning or whatever you always get the same same quality same ingredients same uh, same sort of uh, experience wherever you are no that's um, that must have been quite a lot to keep on top of I'm sure um, and what about uh, so transitioning from your work now to being a mature student we've been doing this for three months or so um, what do you, yeah, I know. I can't believe it's it's Christmas already. Um, what do you think the biggest change has been in going from that working life to now being a mature student? Well, I mean, firstly, essays are not my forte whatsoever. <laughs> writing long papers, so that's been hard to adjust back into. But just since my background at university was engineering, so apart from the odd report, I wasn't. I'm never really good at essays, mm. so it's been hard adapting to that. But I've definitely been able to. Um, improve a lot over the short time of my writing skills. Sure. Mostly because of the help from the university from the, the side things about writing. Um, but the hardest thing was really just kind of, especially since with, with my role, I was a lot kind of working on my own time and I was more task based than time based. Mm-hmm. So there were some days where if it wasn't that busy, I'd drop off early with the idea that I was on my phone and reachable no matter what. I was yeah. reachable 24 7 yeah. with my staff. Um, so, but then there was times where if it was really, really busy, I'd work open to close or longer, stay till 5, 6 a.m. at times when there was really nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. When there was a load of to come back in, like there's a couple of times the oven broke overnight or the fridge stopped and they had to organise moving food to other stores, which I think was bad. So it's been hard to kind of go back into a set routine. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, it's almost like being self-employed where it was before. I bet, I bet, yes. Um, and so, you know, if you cast your mind back to where you were when you were first applying, doing your research into schools and the, just the journey you've been on since then, what would your advice be to someone who's thinking about going to business school and doing an MBA? I mean, I'd say definitely make sure you have a drive and passion for business and you have the correct follow through. Yep. Um, I mean, there have been times that I've had to work throughout the whole weekend on assignments. Um, I guess partly because of my lack of essay skills, but in general, <laughs> um, I've had to really... Um, dedicate a lot of time to this, a lot of my free time, make a lot of sacrifices for uh, socially as well as um, other, other types. Mm. Um, I'd have to move out of my apartment in London to move close to the university because the community wasn't worth it, mm. that kind of thing. So just make sure that you really understand that it is. it takes up a lot of time and it is it's a lot of effort, but it's already worth it from what I've learned so far. Absolutely. I'd agree with that. Just make sure you have motivation because you will waver at times. So you mm. make sure you get through it. You've got to remember why you started. Yeah, I have in my main notebook actually over here. I've got a little little message for myself, which I won't ever show anybody, but uh, oh. just on the first page, just along the lines of remember why you started. But uh, 
yeah, you got to, it's really tough to maintain the motivation. And, you know, as we come to the end of this term, it's been, uh, yeah, you can see in the last week or so, everybody's been kind of, <laughs> the colours going for your face yes. you're getting a bit exhausted uh, we're all looking forward to a little bit of a break um, okay and you know we we have uh, quite a unusual schedule I guess and uh, what what would you say in terms of the, the what's the one piece of kit that you bring along with you every day that you'd recommend that everybody every MBA student has what's like the most important gadget or item that you, you bring to university with you every day? Well, I kind of have two that are linked. The most important thing is a laptop with a good battery life. Preach. Um, it's especially um, in, uh, in the halls and in the rooms. It's not always easy access for plugs. Yeah. If you're sitting in the middle of the room or if, or if there are people are fighting on the end, you have to really get early to get a good seat. Yeah. So just get a, batch, get a laptop with a good battery life. I've got, now got one, it's got 15 hours. I know. It's amazing. And the second thing that surprised me is a stylus for the laptop. Mm. I would have never thought to get one. I just happened to get one with a laptop. It came with it for free. And yeah. it has been a great piece of kit. I've been, while writing notes, I can quickly um, quickly do a quick diagram or, or make notes off on the PowerPoint directly. Mm. Or sometimes what I do is, um, if it's quite a good slide, but with, with a lot of like um, certain equations, I copy copy and paste the equation off the PowerPoint onto my own mm. um, software that I use. I use OneNote from Microsoft. That's really good as well. Um, but uh, and then I just draw over things, make my own notes over his notes, or just if, if it, it's an equation where it was from a lot earlier in the term or something, I'll just write my quick notes over it to remind myself what certain things mean. So stylus, surprisingly good, especially if you, especially when you're doing research on um, PDFs for, for case studies or yeah. research articles, just writing notes straight on the PDF as you go, rather than having to print out and that kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, aside from saving the trees, yeah, I I find, I, I also, you know, I have a, a Microsoft Surface free plug for Microsoft. It's a fantastic <laughs> laptop. I'm really happy with it. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's great to be able to doodle. I mean, I love it for the equations, like, you know, when you can annotate all the, all the terms and, uh, you know, draw lines and when you're doing proofs and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, plus, yeah, you need 12 hours or more of battery life just because you don't want to be faffing around looking for plugs. Um, yeah, you want ideally a laptop where you don't have to carry your charger at all. Um, but uh, you've got to be got to be able to uh, yeah make it through the day. At least I'd say my laptop battery lasts longer than my brain does in class. So that's, uh, <laughs> that's an important characteristic. Okay, so um, let's get on to the uh, second half of our discussion today then and talk about marketing. So um, when I came into it, I had worked with, my last employer had a marketing department and I worked with folks from the marketing department. Um, and my, understand, my interaction with them was largely to do with advertising, at least for promotion of our services. And um, uh, well, I had basically, I almost, at the time, I almost used the term marketing interchangeably with advertising, which as we went through the module, I realized was completely wrong and there is so much more to marketing than that um, but what about what about yourself what was your last role's uh, involvement with marketing so um, with the franchise because it was quite a big company um, they obviously had at the head office their own marketing department that dealt with a lot of the, um, the market research and that kind of thing for new products as well as finding the best channels to advertise through um, but then at the same time because especially with our locations of our stores basically the way it was was or um, the way the franchise works is we pay a set amount towards the head office for marketing all the time. But then mm. because we're in London, we pay an extra amount because there's this thing where, um, I mean, as you can imagine, a, a small store in the middle of the countryside, if you put an advert somewhere, they're only going to 
order from that one store rather than London if you put an advertisement on a bus or a, or a banner or something people might commute to an hour away or so mm. so there's no point of the, 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 the store owner for that area putting something up where they have no idea they're going to get any returns for it mm. so then do I know franchises ourselves have our internal booth that we pay extra that goes towards um, things like putting adverts on tubes on buses banners that kind of thing as well as tweets and stuff or, or um, events as well as uh, the market department that office would do things like um, obviously they're very, they're very famous advertising uh, sponsoring of Simpsons mm. and now I believe they're still doing Holly Oaks mm-hmm. uh, and we did The Voice so that kind of stuff always on the head office but then internally we do small things we might have a few fairs here and there with local universities mm. but even that we, wasn't, we weren't prioritising because once again those students might live in halls all the way in Streatham or something but they live in they commute to somewhere like King's where it's straight um, near Waterloo Mm. So what we do is we do more things that are directed to existing customers rather than trying to gain new customers. Mm. So we do things, obviously we have posters on, um, on our windows, but we, we text or email existing customers with um, deals and reminders every once in a while, mm-hmm. um, as well as maybe, um, we, we, we did a thing when we really, really wanted to do things, we'd um, deliver uh, our menus or our pamphlets towards random people in the mail, as well as sometimes we'd have, every time we do a delivery to one neighbourhood, or talk to one person, we then pop something in their mailbox on either side, mm. because a lot of the time when somebody sees, my neighbour's getting this food thing, I should get one too, and so on. And then, oh look, there's the menu, we, we, we can get one. Um, and then we, we, we do a bit of our own um, kind of research into our stats, where we do things, we check the average spend for neighbourhoods or areas, and see what kind of uh, items are particularly um, popular and then we jigger our deals to make sure that those items are forefront for those areas or those stores um, and that's pretty much marketing we did really internally. Fair enough, um, so it was much more involved on the kind of the stimulating the demand I guess yeah. stuff so as you said engaging with the existing customers and I know that I've received those texts and emails um, but you're, you're right, it's as much about being, it's partly about being visible as well. And, you know, when you're, you could use the example of, say, uh, Deliveroo, you know, if you're in a city and you see Deliveroo riders riding around, um, you know, oh, I can use Deliveroo here, that's great. Then it, that visibility is, is already in your mind. So when you start thinking, oh, I could use some food, oh, I did see that Deliveroo guy the other day. So um, other, way, other takeaway services are available, of course. Um, <clears throat> good. Um, now, as part of this module, we got hands-on with some simulation tools uh, to put us in the role of a product or portfolio manager where, for the benefit of the listeners, if you've not done any marketing before, you get to, it's essentially a, a little live market simulation where you get to pretend to be a product manager for um, an electronics product like we did, or um, we had the energy drinks products after that. Yeah. Um, and you can tweak either characteristics of the product uh, and the product kind of position within the market and see how it performs relative to competitors or you can very as we did with the energy drink study you can very heavily play with the channels that you're marketing through who you're trying to reach who you'll re- how that's uh, affecting your pricing decisions again where regionally they're interacting with them um, it's it was quite involved exercise i remember um, and we did you know these really intense afternoons of of playing around with them um, but I guess that that would have been well certainly the second one with the energy drinks and uh, kind of being present in the certain locations and trying to reach certain people. Yeah. That would have I imagine played pretty close to uh, to your past life. What what was your experience of those games? What did you think of those? 
Um, so, honestly, with the first game, I didn't really have a clue what was going on. <laughs> I was very much playing with numbers and seeing what happens. Yeah. Um, I didn't really kind of get it till the end. So, it really made me realise how important a general plan is. Because we, what we were doing, what we were uh, doing more reactionary. Mm. So, we, we knew what the, all the buttons in it, on the app meant and everything, but we didn't realise the impact they'd have and how much planning made. So, we would react to what people were doing mm-hmm. and move on, but then we didn't realise that. How, how we could be more efficient if we led customers do things rather than doing what they were doing. Sure, sure. So um, if, if we made a plan, so we kind of advertised to certain areas first and then wrote prices or done, because I think it was electronics or that one, yeah, so or, mm. or do a lot of work into improving the product first and then putting money into the marketing, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. We didn't realize how much impact that would have. Yeah, I think a lot of it was, well, I'd say more than half of that first game I was spent, you know, our team at least, we, we played with one particular metric, whether it was price or performance, and we went, I think instinctively that looks all right, and then we just waited for the impact of the year later, which is yeah. a blind form of marketing, it's not a very good way of doing it, but it did teach us, um, you know, the, the key importance of really focusing on a segment and what characteristics matter most to them, and then coming up with your own metrics almost, I guess, to define how you're going to balance performance versus price and then reach a cost competitive position versus your your competitive products. Yeah. And then with the uh, second one, with the channel marketing, mm. or the energy drink, I can't, it made me realize how important it is to kind of focus on certain um, target groups and everything. So what we were doing is with our one, was we were trying to, uh, it was uh, the, the way the program is set, it separates Gen X, Gen Y and millennials. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to kind of uh, appease everybody at the same time. So we do, we attack the channels that, 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 were, that worked with, with Generation X, Generation Y, but then kind of assume millennials will just have the drink anyway, especially around term time or do another round where we focus on, on them and then and then ignore the other, the other guys. So it kind of meant that we were kind of trying to be jack of all trades when really we should just focus on a certain channel from the beginning mm. and, and the ones who we certainly should have known would attack with energy drinks mm-hmm. rather than people uh, I think it goes up to forties or whatever. So you in their forties, who obviously there'll be people who drink it, but it's not. It, it shouldn't be our target demographic. No, it's definitely not. Nice that is excellent. Yeah, um, and throughout this, I guess as we went through the module, we looked at a lot of different companies and uh, corporations and their own marketing strategies, whether their positioning, their advertising, um, their product mix. Um, what what company do you think really stands out as an exceptional? Uh, example of really, really clever marketing. Um, was there an example from the class perhaps that you, you that really resonated with you? So, um, I mean, I personally really like the way Coca-Cola, uh, the way they're advertising is where they have a set kind of uh, brand image that they were constantly doing it. Mm. Coca-Cola Life, I think, where it's a fun, young kind of thing, but the mm. way they did it, I really liked it. And also, I didn't realize how many products they own separate from Coca-Cola mm-hmm. as, as a brand. They owned uh, lots of different juices of the water, so even if you want specifically we try and be healthy or really sporty, you know, so, uh, uh, something that's full of sugar, they have a power rate for the electrolytes or whatever, mm. and you're still paying towards them. Um, and also I quite liked um, how a lot of companies, um, once again, own different products. Half the time they owned, what well, I would imagine they competing products. So I go to the market, I'm starting to an area of a board. Yeah. And really get the exact same thing. <laughs> Maybe the same factory all the time kind of thing. Mm. And it's in my, in my head, I have brand loyalty to something that doesn't exist. Yes. So that, that surprised me. I, I knew it existed in a way, but I didn't realize the degree it exists. It's, it's funny, yeah. It did make you wonder um, 
One of the, the, the example that stood out to me actually was a clothing company that I found on Instagram and I followed and it's a, like a motorcycle clothing company. So it's very visibly like playing around that lifestyle. And yeah. I was thrown headfirst into that algorithm as the target customer. And I bought several of their t-shirts now and they're really expensive t-shirts. <laughs> I really hate paying that price for them, but it's much more of the, the align. The thing that surprised me is the companies that do it well are the ones that align themselves to their customer values so much at least that that was the what resonated with me and you know we discussed lots of examples from the car industry because everybody can say oh that's a bmw person or that's an audi yeah. person or that's a rolls royce or, or whatever so um yeah i think that was that was the thing for me it was the, the kind of the heritage and the the alignment between the brand and the customer um that really kind of translated to something so effective um yeah and just thinking about the the marketing module overall now, as we've as we've wrapped it up, what what really resonated with you? Uh, what sort of challenged you the most, um, or what's the what's the thing that you might apply going forward? Well, I mean, I really enjoyed uh, the thing with the very end, the price management things, mm. um, all the different modules they used to um, firstly to to pick prices, whether it's matching competitors or going purposefully above or below competitors, mm. maybe well above to give themselves more of an image of being more premium, even though it's that same product, or mm-hmm. the reverse, having attacking their customers and trying to eat at them, eat away at them, having some cheaper. So it's just the, and the, the models that um, some companies use, like freemium models or um, all those kind of things, where what's a pitch model where somebody's locked in? That kind of idea really, uh, I liked it, the idea about bring back with like with LinkedIn, um, LinkedIn with um. The Dropbox, mm. you know, this thing where um, having to become rights or whatever is free, you join, it's fantastic, and then once you get hooked onto it and you start filling all the things, suddenly, uh oh, out of memory, you need to upgrade. Mm. And by then, you've gotten so used to the ecosystem, you have the app, you're used to sending the links to the, to, towards the sharing folders. I mean, so the first thing I did when I became the when I became area manager for the franchise I was with is I moved all of our um, data to being online, mm. on Dropbox. Mm. Uh, and what it was is this meant that like, no matter where we were, we can all access it. I had full folders full of training um, things that managers can print out and show their staff, that kind of thing, all on mm. Dropbox they can access and print directly at their stores. And I mean, by then I had to get the, the full service. You're locked in. I, I was locked in, I was used to it, and I liked having the big memory. Although there are other products that are exactly the same, Google Drive, uh, OneNote, all that kind of stuff, it's all exactly the same. Mm. But I just, at that point, go on Dropbox. And so I kind of model where I'm paying a subscription per month, I want to be on it. And by then, now that I'm paying a subscription, I don't want to join the fences because I've already committed to it in a way. Yeah. You know, it's, I can leave any time. I kind of feel a loyalty to it because I feel like, oh, I'm chipping into it. Well, the value there that's been given to you through that convenience and that service over the years, plus there's the slight inconvenience of moving away from your folder structure and the way you're used exactly, to getting yeah. it. Um, yeah, no, I, I mean, I use both Dropbox and Google Drive and I've found Dropbox is just so seamless in this integration with, you know, with your Microsoft software that yeah, there's, there's just no touching that. Um, and I know that Google tries to make you use their native tools and everything else, but um, I, yeah, no, I'm, I'm the same as you. I pay for my Dropbox quite happily. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, it's, it's delivered so much value to me in terms yeah. of convenience and, and a good service. And, you know, we were shown in the class that initial video of like the first demo from the CEO of Dropbox back when he founded it of how it works and how he put pictures in and stuff like that. And it fundamentally hasn't really changed that much yeah. since then. But, uh, it's uh, yeah. It's funny to think. Well, that's one that we could all relate to. Or something we thought, but this yeah, that here's the value we could see very clearly. Excellent. <clears throat> so that's uh, all we have time for on this episode of the About That MBA podcast. 
Uh, join us next time and we'll have another guest to introduce uh, their experiences of going to business school and we'll be talking about our next module which has been finance and accounting uh, which will be a really fun one I'm sure with uh, lots of tic-tac and uh, uh, other fantastic phrases. Um, in the meantime be sure to follow us on Twitter at that MBA podcast and uh, we will continue to solicit your questions uh, to try and incorporate them into our future shows and uh, before we wrap up Hayda thank you so much for joining me on this one. Once again, thank you for having me. Um, Gladly. uh, Great to have you on. And uh, yeah, till next time, thank you for listening and goodbye with a jingle.